You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest-growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're here for the first time, you came on a good day because today is Friday. It's also the first day we have Treb stats from last month, November, in front of us, but we're not going to stop there, no. We're going to talk about what the solutions are from our government as it relates to affordability, as well as take a brief look at Australia. Surprisingly, they don't have COVID cases anymore. So if we're going to look at a major international market and what happens post-COVID, what a place to start. And of course, we're going to look at the stats for Treb as well. I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting sick of Zoom calls. (laughs) Every day is a Zoom call. Meetings, family events. We just had a, a gender reveal party. Church. We have youth nights on Thursdays. I don't even understand why we call it Zoom meeting anymore. Shouldn't it be called COVID? <laughs> you know me. I like to have fun. I like to keep it light. If you haven't already, don't miss another episode. Make sure you subscribe to our channel. Listen to us. I'm thrilled and watching the growth of our channel. You guys are fantastic. And I'm just having fun. I, as an investor and a broker, I want to know what's going on in our local market. And I'm going to be reading the news anyways. Might as well share with you what's been going on. Well, if you're looking for news, this is a great day for news. we got a ton of stuff. You're going to learn a bunch. And as you do, please comment down below some of your thoughts. So let's start off with the stats. According to Treb, what will the Toronto real estate market look like in 2021? We're going to start with what happened last month, but we're not going to stop there. No, no. We're going to talk about what's going to happen next month as well. This first article is from theglobeandmail.com. Toronto, Vancouver home sales boom as buyers seek bigger spaces. Here's what they say. Home sales in Toronto hit in November an increase of 24% over the same month last year. (laughs) Not bad, Toronto. Way to go. With strong sales in all types of housing and townhomes offsetting weakness in the condo market. And this is going to be an ongoing conversation. What's going to come of the condo market? And again, what's happening in Australia in the condo market? A very good indicator, in my opinion, and a great comment that we got from one of our listeners on YouTube. Condos within the city looking into November were the only type of property to record flat sales and lose value in the region as new condo listings nearly doubled over the year, according to the Toronto Real Estate Board. The average selling price of a condo actually fell. So now we're in negative territory. Remember, we went all the way up, potentially 20% in the one year, all the way back down. Last month, we were still net positive. Well, not anymore. There was any doubt whether we were declining month over month. Yes. Year over year. Yes. Way to go, condo owners. I feel bad for you, son. (laughs) In comparison, though, sales of detached, semi-detached, and of course, townhomes increased from 19% to more than 30% in the GTA. Quite the discrepancy. Detached home prices rose 19% in the suburbs and 9% in the city. So a discrepancy in housing type and a discrepancy in 416 versus the 905. And you know what? I don't want to dive too much deeper into this, but I do want to quickly mention the home price index, which is really a way for us to look apples to apples. We're comparing condos to condos. Maybe not apples. (laughs) Condos to condos townhomes to townhomes and the size of each respectively. Well, to the West and Halton region, when we look at the HPI, it was up 13.5%. When we go East, we go to Durham and we see the index was up 20%. To the North, we see 22.7%. And in contrast to the city of Toronto, the index was up 6%. Not bad, not bad, but it's all relative. 
right? And those relatives that moved to the suburbs are doing better than the ones that stayed local. Everyone, though, is working from home now, and the 905 is miles ahead. If, if it wasn't already apparent, that is the case. And you don't need to be at the Mazda factory anymore, right? You can just do a quick video call, video conference call. <laughs> a zoom, 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 zoom. <laughs> oh, that's so dumb, but I love it. So funny. Zoom, zoom. You guys remember that commercial? That's okay. The real estate board and other realtors believe that the market will rebound when the pandemic subsides and the economy reopens once again. Quote, that will lead to an increase in demand for condominium apartments. So when we listen to Jason Mercer and the Toronto Real Estate Board, they're quite optimistic about the condo apartments. But hold your horses because we're going to talk about what's going on to the horses down under. And stay tuned for that. But overall, when we look at new listings in both regions, they were up by about a third compared with the previous November. All right, here we go. So let's talk about what comes next in 2021. You might have heard during the pandemic when this was all going on, we heard the stats from Remax. And a lot of people were uncomfortable with the Remax stat of saying, how dare you consider that the, the market will go up by even 5%. That's so negligent. Terrible trap. They're overly optimistic all the time. Terrible Remax. You guys are so biased. And of course, we heard predictions down 20%, whatever. The story continues. Old news now. Well, apparently, we're more than happy to accept Remax's predictions today because they were the most accurate out of many. I think TD was the most accurate, but Treb was not, or Remax, sorry, was not bad. Not bad. Here's what they say. According to Remax, which published its highly anticipated 2021 Canadian housing market outlook earlier this week, you've probably seen the news on this, prices are expected to continue rising in the city across all markets, not just detached, which have been skyrocketing in value since COVID hit last spring. Quote, this is from the, the report, the Toronto housing market is expected to be in seller's favor in 2021, characterized by a persistent supply shortage and rising prices. It's going to be characterized by rising prices <laughs> and supply shortage. Now, keep in mind that we're not only talking about houses, but condos. This is what they say. Condos to everybody. The above stated figures pertain when we're talking about the figures, we're talking about a 6% increase, by the way, that's their prediction. It's an average among all housing types, including those shoebox units in the downtown core that so many people are freaked out about today. Quote, the Toronto housing market has experienced shifts in buyer demand prompted by economic factors, lifestyle changes, and immigration in the wake of COVID-19. The Toronto real estate, the Toronto condo market is currently a buyer's market, whereas the rest of the market favors seller. But the argument is, is we will all be in seller's territory in a city, in a time near, <laughs> I don't know how to say this anymore, near you, <laughs> at a time near you. All right, here's what they say. Quote, the migration, this is what they're anticipating, outside of urban areas has been a common trend across many Canadian housing markets as well as regions abroad as home buyers seek more square footage and green space to less entities. Despite this, COVID, or despite COVID, Remax expects to see a lot of activity in the condo market in 2021. You guys have been saying, oh my God, I gotta dump this condo, get rid of it, get rid of it. What have we been saying? No, just chill, just relax. I mean, if you've got a better option for your investment dollars, great, but I would rather see you purchasing than dumping that poor unit. Well, they're saying now very much the same thing. First time home buyers and immigrants coming to the city for education are expected to be the drivers of this trend. Don't take it from me. Don't take it from Remax. Where are you getting it from? Because nobody else has made claims from what I've seen for 2021 that have any remote optimism at all. Most of them are pretty 
pretty dire in nature. And when we look at the, the luxury housing market, just to kind of wrap this, this article off, they say it remains largely unimpacted by COVID-19 and driven by move up buyers. So we're not being really feeling that in the luxury. Now, if you missed it, if you wanted to learn a little bit more about that side, we actually had a conversation with Wizron, uh, sorry, Rizwan Malik back in November, early November. He's an HGTV star. We talked specifically about that segment. But I know, because I, I see the stats, guys. I know you prefer to one-on-one. I know you like to just hang out with your boy. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, because we do those through Zoom, fair enough. <laughs> when I'm on a Zoom call with guests, I'm not even remotely funny. <laughs> uh, that's a doozy. All right, let's move on now. So, so we know the stats and you've probably seen the Treb stats. So what comes next? What happens in 2021 is specifically what is the government planning on doing to protect our market? What are some of the factors that are being considered here? Well, let's first off talk about Canada. If you're going to tune out on this part of the podcast, you're going to miss so much. We're about to go. We're going good. We're going deep. We're going very deep. If you want to know what's going on in our market, this is, this is, this is where rubber hits the road. Zoom, zooms. <laughs> All right. Federal liberals boost first-time homebuyer incentive. A couple days ago, we had a, a show we did called Soul Data. Over two years. Must come down. You can check that out. Go listen to it. And I talk specifically and at length about what is a homebuyer incentive and why there's... And this wasn't from my feedback. This is from articles that I was reading in anticipation of this plan on what are some of the negatives? Why does the program not work? Well, all of a sudden, we've got updates that have been made in the last couple of days. And here's what they say. The federal... or Sorry, the first home, first-time homebuyer incentive is being expanded for the high-priced Toronto, Vancouver, and Victoria markets because... Toronto has been largely left out. Like the numbers were, when you hear the numbers and what they were, there's no way you could even afford anything of that nature. And that's during COVID or before COVID at all. So here's the changes. So it was introduced in 2019, this idea, and the maximum home price eligible was four times your household income. But there, now it's going up to four and a half times. Woo, lifesaver. <laughs> and this is in spring 2021. This is happening quite soon. Another big change is the income threshold is being raised from 120,000 to 150,000. And the changes mean the maximum house price in the three market goes from 505,000, that's before. I mean, again, where would you find that? Barely, to about 722,000. So this is good if the plan is to extend it within Toronto, assuming you like the plan and it's a working, you know, <laughs> if it worked. Then in that case, now it includes Toronto. And I, when it comes to this, it's like 722,000. Like, how do you come up with these figures? I mean, they just pull, in my opinion, just pulling them out of their butt in some Zoom call. <laughs> Thank God for the internet. The little stinkers can chat feast to feast. <laughs> uh, I love making fun of politicians. It's too easy. It's too easy. So here's the points, right? Here's the good point. Point number one, and what some of you guys are sitting back and you're like, really? This is the, this is the depth of the conversation? This is it. <laughs> this is the time you can tune out. So here's the arguments. Here's a favor in favor of why this is good. Quote, raising the maximum household threshold to 150 from 120 announced in September will help a greater number of first-time buyers rethink the possibility of purchasing a home in major cities. Okay, here's the counterpoint. Here's the bat. We're going to have a little bit of a, a bicker going on here. A number of market watchers think the expansion could lead to higher prices in the target markets, which are already at an improbable record run during the pandemic. Again, go back a couple of days ago, listen to the podcast if you want to learn more about that. And they say, in general, these affordable, 
quote-unquote affordability measures just stimulate demand and bump prices further. I, I tend to think that that is the case. Well, here's a counter to the counterpoint. This is from UBC professor Paul Kershaw, founder of the advocacy group for Young Canadians Generation Squeeze. He says, while these subsidies for buyers can risk fueling further price escalations, so even though, yes, prices could go up, CMAC research shows that its shared equity approach is less likely to inflate prices by comparison with changes to the mortgage rules, I would either lengthen the amortization period or reduce the interest rates at which the buyers need to qualify. So the counter counterpoint is it's the least, it has the least issues, apparently. But this, this Kershaw dude continues and it just pretty much accepts defeat. <laughs> He's like, but, right? He says, this though addresses the symptom and not the root cause, okay? What's the root cause of unaffordability? The root cause, he says, is we need federal and provincial governments to revisit the many ways in which their policies incentivize or entangle many Canadian households to count on high and rising home prices for their security and wealth. So the real problem is that you just believe house prices are going to go up. That's unreasonable, you investors out there. How unreasonable, how ridiculous. By inclining... Canadians to count on high and rising home prices, these policies reinforce feedback loops that result in rising home prices, which ultimately undermine affordability for those who follow in our footsteps. So we're picking, which do you want? Do you want prices to go up or do you want prices not to go up and have affordability? Because if, you, if affordability is defined as someone being able to purchase a house, then they, they conflict. If affordability is giving someone a roof over their head, Maybe not so much. Maybe something we can we can address. But wherever you stand on that, we're going to move on to our next topic because the government is doing a lot of things. That's just one. Here's another one. Liberals planning a national foreign buyer's tax in bid to lower housing prices. We talked about this because we had a whiff of it coming, but here we've got more details now. They're finally coming out and saying, the liberal government says it will take steps over the next year to tax foreign homeowners who live outside of Canada as part of a plan to lower housing prices. You've got real estate. Anywhere in Canada, not just Toronto, anywhere in Canada, and you don't live here, cursed you. <laughs> We're going to tax you. And that's the plan. Prime Minister Trudeau said last year his government will introduce such a tax, praising a similar measure in BC during his most recent election campaign. The BC government said last year its speculation and vacancy tax, which we've talked about doing here in Toronto, and we'll get there in just a second. Just you wait has raised $115 million paid mostly by owners abroad with Finance Minister Carol James crediting the tax as a factor behind the 5.6% fall in home prices in the first part of 2019. So is the government's plan simply to bring house prices down as expensive cities? Is that our plan of attack to address affordability? It seems that way. It seems that way. But here, folks, here is the real reason that this is a good idea to the federal government. While the housing market has been hot, the Ontario government is looking for ways to finance $25 billion in new spending to support those hit hard by the pandemic. Oh, so the truth comes out. We're trying to pay for COVID. Maybe it's the reason that although we wanted this program years ago, these various programs, now is the perfect time when it would appear that the market is softer in some ways. Now is the time to hit them where it hurts. No, no, it's because of government spending. I, that's my opinion. I don't know. But it will keep prices lower if that's the intent. If the intent is let's suppress prices, what a great time to be investing in the local market. Whereas we see so many initiatives through bringing interest rates down, we're trying to boost it. They, are, they have dementia, man. 
This government's got dementia. And I don't say this government, I mean all levels of government. We are completely confused. Don't worry, we'll get to provincial and city in a minute. We see GTA cities with the highest price point, though, to income ratios are owned by foreigners. We talked about this a couple days ago. It's an important point. Some of the areas that have very high ownership by foreigners relative to the in income rate of that city, they do seem to be owned by foreigners. So there is a legitimate case to be made that it could work. But of course, it pisses off the rest of Canada because like, this is a GTA issue. Right? They're not happy. They say this. I can't understand why you would introduce it at a national level. Level That doesn't make any sense to me as a policy because it's not as if we are in a national crisis of foreigners buying up housing in every market and creating challenges on affordability. That's a stretch. And of course, those same people would say, well, there's a benefit to having foreigners invest. But at the same time, it's not a problem here. Regardless, this is happening at a national level level. We'll get to the city in just a second, but this should only, they say, I guess the question is to you, should this only apply to Toronto and Vancouver? Or would it be something that we're all in it together? Like COVID, right? Nobody wants to be locked down, but we still have to do it. Meanwhile, Zoom meetings are basically seances with the living. <laughs> Justin, are you there? Make a sound if you can hear us. Is anyone with you? Can you hear us? <laughs> Said the seance. So let's look at Toronto. Let's look at Toronto now. Things are going to happen very quickly, guys. Things are going to happen very, very quickly all at once. What a year to start a podcast, huh? <laughs> Blogto.com has an article that reads, The city of Toronto is officially on board with a vacant home tax. The time has come. The writing is on the wall. The city of Toronto has officially recommended a vacant home tax be imposed to help ensure housing in the city is used to its full potential instead of simply sitting empty. Sounds like Vancouver all over again. The tax has been proposed by numerous councillors and been on the table at various points over the years, but it wasn't until this Thursday, yesterday, that it was formally endorsed by the city of, and Mayor John Tory in a statement that cited the success of such a measure in Vancouver, an urban center perhaps even more notoriously overvalued than Toronto. Well, people have an argument with that. But the same people might even say that it's because of measures like this that Toronto is still a problem zone. We are in bubble territory where others, like Vancouver, are not. Quote, we simply can't afford from the housing supply perspective to have housing accommodations for thousands of people sitting empty. A vacant home tax would not only push some owners to sell, keep that in mind, investors, and thus potentially free up livable housing units for residents, but would also cut down on the historic issue of ghost hotels. And, in my opinion, the real reason, <laughs> provide extra tax dollars for the city which is a serious deficit in part thanks to the pandemic, in part. The city estimates it would accrue additional 55 to $66 million a year through a levy, even at a low rate of 1%, which could be used to build more affordable housing. That's the real reason, guys. The real reason is, is I already blew your money. We need more. Let's tax them. But you see the conflict that's happening be between affordability because Foreign investment in our market, yes, it creates ghost hotels, but it also inflates the property value. The natural consequence of doing something like this is to suppress or hold prices down. And to someone who stands behind this argument, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that because we are ultimately helping with affordability. Well, when is this going to happen? The city will be pushing the motion for a tax at an executive committee meeting on December 10th, which is very soon. And if approved, it would go into effect in 2022. The next couple of years are going to be quite interesting. They really will. But the, the city doesn't stop there. We also have two things going on. The first is laneway housing. When we look at the stats for laneway housing, we have seen about 100 new laneway housing, 
houses this year. And the newest builds are a creative way to increase rental housing options in the city. We were allowed in the city passed an amendment in 2018 to allow laneway homes and Toronto's officially, they're now starting to see new homes popping up around the city. Potentially though, Toronto could see a lot more laneway housing. There are about 30,000 properties that qualify for a laneway suite. And those are good properties to hold right now, by the way. They go for a premium. Don't kid yourself. But we just need to repeat the same thing we've done 3,000 more times. And maybe we'll put a dent in the housing challenges we face in our city. I mean, that's great for my grandpa. He has a tremendous opportunity at a laneway house in his backyard. I was like, grandpa, get on it, man. I even gave him drawings. I just sent them to him. I was like, print these out, man. He's, I told him, it's just control P. He's like, I haven't even been able to do that for years. <laughs> Poor grandpa. <laughs> the cost to build a laneway house, by the way, is between three hundred to 500000 So the number of new homes would be dependent on the homeowners. Come up with that money. Can you find $300,000 in the value of your property? Perhaps. For those looking for an inexpensive option to a condo, unafford unfortunately, laneway houses cannot be sold as separate homes as they are connected to the main home's utilities. But we don't stop there. Laneway houses have been on the table for a while. We're starting to see them rolling out now, but the new conversation happens with this little thing called a garden suite. They are small, affordable units that can be placed throughout Toronto. These types of structures, also referred to as coach houses, tiny homes, or granny flats, are typically detached units located on the property or of another low-rise dwelling. And the city is currently working on a plan to cut red tape surrounding the creation of these homes through the Expanding Housing Options in Neighborhoods program, the EHAN program. So there's more coming. It's not just laneway suites, very similar in nature, but they're smaller. And currently there are other cities. Like we look at Kitchener, even in Ontario, we got Kitchener, Ottawa, who else we got here? Uh, Windsor, Peterborough. A lot of other cities have developed standards for this that we can copy. And in terms of the next steps, the city has a public engagement process, which will begin in early 2021. And they will aim to have a housing committee um, planning a housing committee final report by Q2 in 2021. All of these things are happening so quickly, man. So quickly. But it's nice to see our city embracing creative ways to deal with affordability. Just like it's really nice to see churches embracing internet technology during this pandemic. Our priest even bought my nephew his own webcam. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. That's brutal. Okay, okay, come on. It's har it was harmless. It was a harmless purchase. It was a Christmas gift, right? Not like this stuff is creepy. Computer science teacher sends them on Zoom calls. Now that's a true PDF file. <laughs> uh, moving on. Moving on. Let's do some hot topics. Let's have some fun here. Do some hot topics. This idea of a mortgage deferral cliff, I think is all but squash, guys. I really do. I saw an article, CIBC profit beats estimates on lower bad loan provisions. They say this that joined its rivals in reporting a better than expected profit for the fourth quarter for the fourth quarter on Thursday as it set aside less money to cover potential bad loans. So the question is, is what about the other banks? Well, I listen to some of these headlines. TD Bank quarterly profit beats estimates on fewer provisions than expected. Royal Bank, National Bank of Canada profit beat estimates on da 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 da. National Bank beats estimates on lower than expected loan loss provisions. Scotia Bank beats estimates on capital markets even as da da da. Bank of Nova Scotia expected to beat earnings estimates. Can the stock move higher? Let's just say, as we put this mortgage deferral argument to rest, thank you, Serb. Thank you for all that you do. <laughs> the banks love you. But then we also see some, I just thought this was a fun, hot topic. Uh, there, I didn't have a place for this. I thought this was great, great 
not in the not great sense. <laughs> The star.com head of Toronto's real estate agency offers staff below market rentals, despite city's affordability housing rules. So the CEO of create TO, which is a, an arm's length city agency started under mayor Tory, this dude, he like was giving below market rents to his employees. And to, I think it was his, what was it? His niece. Yeah. His niece. Anyways, perfect corruption in our city. Speaking of corruption, Doug Ford rebuffs calls to reopen retail shops at 25% capacity in Toronto and Peel region. So there's this, there was put forward as part of the lockdown, big box stores, by the way, like Costco and Walmart, they're allowed to operate at a 50% capacity while other retail stores and small businesses cannot offer in-store shopping and are forced to sell items for delivery or curbside pickup only. So they're like, come on, dude. We got this, like, I can't remember how many. I think it's like 50 large retailers, including like Hudson Bay and Canadian Tire. They put together this plan. They're like, dude, like, you got to let us have at least 25%. No, no, no. Doug Ford would not be having that today. So you can buy food. You just can't buy laptops, right? So much for picking up that new laptop that won the Grammys. <laughs> now, this is the part where we're like, what? Laptop won the Grammys? Yeah, it's Adele. <laughs> Canada PM Trudeau. Indicates U.S. border restrictions to last a long time. So when we look to the future, what comes next? Are we able? To, does anything change? Are we going to be opening the border? Well, Canada will not agree to lifting a ban on non-essential travel with the U.S. until the COVID breakout breakdown outbreak, <laughs> the breakdown under, is significantly under control around the world. PM Justin Trudeau said on Tuesday, Trudeau's comments were a clear indication. It's clear, complete clarity. We definitely know what's going on now. That the border restrictions will last well into 2021. Good. At least we got that clarity. If you think Trudeau can tell us when the border will reopen, you're sadly mistaken. You get a straighter answer looking up LGBT on the internet. <laughs> I would have my assistant crop that out, but then it wouldn't be a, I feel like that'd be, anyways. <laughs> Honesty is key. Honesty is key. I think that's funny. I, I find it funny. Guys, I'm sorry if you get offended. This is the part where I say, if you get offended easily, leave our channel. I like to make fun. I'm an equal opportunity offensive person. <laughs> Dailyhive.com. Ford pushes to reduce 14-day quarantine at Toronto Pearson Airport. So you might think, oh, we want closures. Health is the only important thing. But then we've got this fight right now that's happening for the airports where Ford is saying someone lands, they should get t tested right away and then five to seven days later and then they should be able to go home. What? Like, it's, it's very hard to keep track of all these things. I agree we need to chill. I do agree we need to chill on the 14-day quarantine thing. Right? I feel like it's getting pushed on us like a stoner's favorite computer software. Adobe. <laughs> Blog TO, all in the nature of, should we have more lockdowns? Should things stay open as is? What do we move? Who gets preferential treatment? Well, why don't we go revisit a topic that we had during the pandemic, right in the heat of the pandemic, one of the most hot topics of the time. And this is the new title from Blog TO. People want Ontario to reinstate the residential eviction ban. Listen up, landlords. It's a legitimate argument that's being made right now because we have been in full lockdown 2.0 for more than a week now and residents are wondering why if so many are out of work at once a ban on residential residential evictions hasn't been reinstated <laughs> why not right why not i don't know if they ever went silent on that case but let's let's give them the argument instead of getting any further protections a slew of renters are now facing the prospect of being forcibly removed forcibly from their homes you just removed me forcibly because I didn't pay my rent. <laughs> Even with many regions at the province in some form of severe lockdown, the winter now upon us, the eviction blitz. Oh, the blitz. Yeah, because the LTB works at blitz speeds. <laughs> right? They're being deemed a crisis or a bloodbath. 
<laughs> processing countless backlogged eviction hearings. And thanks to the new bill, you know, most of the hearings are looking at are pre-pandemic. Come on. Landlords can now apply for an eviction order without a hearing in some cases. Thanks, Bill 184. Thanks for that. You guys, if you followed me for some time, you know my thoughts on all those things. But Toronto Mayor John Tory has stated publicly, put his foot down. His foot was already down, but he put down again. 2.0. Put his foot down and said, all for a return of the ban. I'm all for a return. And has formally requested the province bring it back. Not only am I open to it, I sent a letter. <laughs> Doug Ford just got a letter. Perhaps tenants will have to take to protesting outside of Ford's Etobicoke home if things don't change soon, as we've seen how much that really tends to piss him off. And you wonder why John Tory changed his tune. It was because of all the, he got fans out front of his house. Maybe we'll do the same thing for John, for who are we talking about? Doug, Rob, whatever. <laughs> Mr. Ford. Some people say, why don't they protest peacefully? Right? If you're going to protest, do it peacefully. Don't stand in the streets. Don't be crazy. Here's a better idea. Why don't you do a Zoom protest? <laughs> That'll go over well. Okay, so here's all the hot topics. These are some of the fun stuff going on today. And if I miss anything, leave it in the comments if you got anything you want me to check out. And, and I really appreciate when you guys do leave comments because I got one from Toby Fang. Thanks, man, for this comment. It literally created an entire section of our podcast today that I want to know too. What a good question he had. Here's what he said. I realize that Australia has apparently fully recovered from pandemic for a little while now. Could you do some research on the Australia condo market trend and let us know? I suppose it could be very applicable to Toronto's market as well. Thanks. And you know what? Toby is right. Because I looked up the daily count in Australia. Man, am I living in a bubble? <laughs> wow, that's a good pun. Well, you look at where they were at. They did have a second wave. It happened. It looked like it happened in kind of late June and it ended definitely by October. And now they've got, as of today, or the 4th of December, that's today, 10 cases in the entire of the country. So what a good point. And we know if Toronto is on an international scale, we should be looking. In fact, we were, even pre-pandemic, we were looking at China as this idea of like, what could this look like? What could closures do to our real estate market? And most of those predictions were accurate. That was what was crazy. So maybe we do the same thing today. What a fantastic idea. Toby, thank you. Thank you, man. So let's look very briefly at Sydney. I thought, you know what? Let's look at the Sydney property market because they have one of the strongest and most consistent performers over the last four decades. It's also where chess was invented. <laughs> Why else would they say checkmate? <laughs> so let's look at Australia. Here's what they say. This year, the Sydney real estate market has continued to defy the worst forecast of COVID-19 related property crash as it initially remained remarkably resilient and is now moving ahead strongly from a buyer's market to a seller's one. Don't leave me yet. Okay, don't leave me yet. According to Doron Peleg of RiskWise, <laughs> sounds like a local business, Sydney is projected to deliver eight to 12% capital growth in 2021. What was ours? Six, and that's Remax. Here we got eight to 12% capital growth. Is that a good forecast? I don't know. I haven't researched Australia incredibly deeply, but they're forecasting growth. Okay. Only three months ago, home buyers, this is where we're at now. Home buyers in Sydney were in solid position to leverage on the prevailing market conditions. Does that sound like the condo market today? Sure does. It sure does. This is, however, no longer the case with a sharp increase in buyer sentiment and auction clearance rates. It's important to note that Australia does auctions. It's more of an open system, which we've been playing around with that idea here. Hasn't gotten any traction, at least not yet. So they're dealing with auctions. So when we talk about auctions, we simply mean selling. 
Auction clearance rates are regularly approaching 80%, a level at which the imbalance of more buyers than there are sellers causes house prices to rise. It also looks, when they show you these little charts, it looks very much like it did pre-pandemic and late 2019. At the same time, the number of property transactions occurring is rising steadily, steadily. So both numbers going up and the fact that it's like a sales to new listing ratio, the number of sellers are getting more and more strong. Interesting. The Australian real estate market is literally on fire right now. <laughs> okay, wait. Technically, it was on fire early 2020. Now, it's just a metaphor. <laughs> the lack of supply, low interest rates. Tell me if this doesn't sound familiar. The lack of supply, low interest rates, and the unaffected buyer who is looking to upsize had fueled price gains, according to Domain Senior Research Analyst Dr. Nicola Powell. Quote, we're seeing the upper end of the market recoup much greater value and it's the opposite for the lower end of the market. Interesting. Before we start talking about condos, let's talk about rents. Despite dwelling values holding their own, rents have declined over the year across several regions of Sydney. The largest rental declines were across the city and the South Sydney regions where rental values were down 4.1% over the last quarter. So rents are taking a beating across the world, including Australia. And that didn't necessarily change overnight. So if there's a lesson to be taken, if we follow the same pattern, I would expect there to be continued struggle on the rental space for the landlords, the local landlords. But looking forward, looking forward. While overall, the Sydney property market is now moving up from its low point, some sectors of the Sydney property market is in particular the off the plan, off the plan. I, I love the terminology. It's like off the plan. It's a pre-construction, <laughs> particularly off the plan and the new high rise apartment segments will fall a little further in the next few months. So if we follow the same trend, yes, COVID resolves things, but don't expect an immediately immediate bounce back from the condos. That's why I hope you guys stayed this long into our podcast, because when we listen to people like Treb or Remax, it sounds as though the condos are having just as great a time and they're on the upswing of the roller coaster, just like everybody else. But that's not what we're seeing right now in Australia. Not to say they won't come back up, but they might go down a little bit further, a little bit longer. And it'll happen a little bit later. So what's ahead for Sydney's housing market for the rest of the year? In the short term, here's what they say. Investment grade properties and A grade or above average homes should keep increasing in value. B grade homes should hold their own. Grade C, the less than perfect, will be hardest hit as there will be a flight to quality as our property markets rebound. And I love that the way they summarize this to wrap us up today. The sectors of the Sydney real estate market likely to suffer most moving forward will be apartments in high-rise towers. In fact, this in, is these properties are likely to be out of favor for quite some time. Apartments in high-rise towers will be out for quite some time. Off-the-plan apartments, new builds, and poor quality investments, particularly those in, near to universities, will struggle. They're going to suffer. Okay. Established homes in outer suburban new housing estates where young families are likely to be overextending themselves financially will be out of work for a while. They're going to struggle and properties in the blue collar areas. Take of this what you will. This is what they're reporting in Australia. And where do they stand? If we can get this under control, COVID, where are we now? We're in December. Call it March, maybe March, three months out. These guys have been, as mentioned, these guys haven't had a COVID issue since... August, September, October, November. We're very similar point in time to where they were near the peak of COVID. So I think it's important. I think it's a worthwhile exercise to have learned. And I don't know, I'm not going to prove to be an expert in Australia. I'm not an expert in nothing. 
<laughs> Except for maybe bum changing. That's about it, right? But anyways, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for Toronto? Leave it down in the comments. Let me know what you think. Are there other markets we should be paying attention to as well? I don't know, but it's Friday. So after subscribing to our channel or leaving us a, a like or subscribing to our investor list, if you want to get off market deals or apartment deals and want to scale your portfolio as an investor, it's the weekend. So have a great weekend, kids. Christmas is soon. <laughs> And I do feel bad for you guys. I feel bad for the class of 2020. They say the year really flies. I just didn't realize it would zoom. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to leave it there. You guys take care. I'll talk to you next time. Take care and keep it real.